You are listening to the Mill Sunday School Podcast. Turn to John chapter 20. John chapter 20, and we are um, still in this habit of reading large portions of Scripture and not putting it on the board um, to kind of encourage you to read out of your own text. So I'll give you another minute to, you could use one of the Bibles that are on the tables, you could flip to uh, electronic Bible on your phone or devices, but turn to John chapter 20, um, pretty much going to read a huge section of this chapter, starting in verse 1. This is the resurrection story, and that's what we're talking about all this month. Today we'll conclude it, as today is the last Sunday of this month, and then the month of May we'll start a new topic. I'll tell you about that in a second. But John chapter 20, turn there to to read along. It says this, it says, early on the first day of the week, which would be a Sunday, and so this is basically the resurrection story, this is basically the Easter story. We've read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and now here is John. It says, while it was still dark, it was really early in the morning, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. Verse 2. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. They were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And I usually insert the joke here that, the, the disciple who won the race just so happens to be the author of this book. And so you can look at this and be like, is this seriously, dude? Like, you had to throw that in that you won the race? Are you 10 years old? Um, but anyways, he won the race. And you could, I did think about it this week. Like, maybe he wasn't just bragging about him winning the race like a 10-year-old. Look how fast I could run. But more, that he got there first. And so... If, if the Jews or if the Romans were accusing uh, the tomb of being tampered with, well then here, this passage is saying John got there first. He's the eyewitness. He got there first. He'll take the blame. If anyone makes an accusation against like the tomb was tampered with, well then it has to come down to John. So maybe he's just taking responsibility. Anyways, verse 5 says, um, I was talking about John. He bent over and looked at the strips of linen um, there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. And finally, the other disciple, who reached the tomb first, once again, he's he maybe bragging, but just taking responsibility. He was there first, um, also went inside, and he saw and he believed. And he did not understand, or they did not understand from the scriptures that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. And so this is kind of a continuation of the story. It goes back to where Mary was, or maybe uh, after they left. Uh, now Mary was outside the tomb crying. As imagine you would be as well. You know, your friend, your savior, your, the, your leader had died, and now his body is gone, and you're not sure what's going on, and all the grief and the wonder and the mystery here. Um, so she's crying. She bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seating in G- where Jesus' body had been, one at the head, the other at the foot, and they asked her, Woman, why, woman, why are you crying? And she said, They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I do not know where they put him. At this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not recognize it was Jesus. And he asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him, and I, I will go and get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned to him and cried out in Aramaic, 
Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said, do not hold on. I think this passage is really interesting. Um, but Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I'm ascending to my Father um, and to your Father, to my God and to your God. And Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. So let's pray. Let's, let's think about this story. God, as we've just read the resurrection story recorded in John, God, we, we sit here amazed and, and wonder and in awe that, that you, you died uh, on the cross for, for our sins. That's what we believe. But then you rose from the dead. You conquered death and you came with this glorified body that's, that's a spiritual body that, that conquered death itself. And so, God, we, we thank you for this story. We praise your name that you are God who, who can beat death, and you can beat death in all of us, and we can trust in you and also um, have this resurrection. So, God, we praise you and we thank you for your holiness. And everybody screamed, amen. Well, uh, I've been thinking a lot this week about uh, these things. Let's switch this slide here. Uh, anybody been attacked this week by these moths? It's like an epidemic this week of, and last week of the, I think they're called Miller Moth, right? Colorado Miller Moth. It has something to do with like how uh, much moisture we get. And we got a lot of moisture. So I guess a lot of the, the larvae, the caterpillars hatched and the, well, I don't even know how to explain it, but I just know I've been attacked this week. by. I opened up my car door the other day, like three of them flew up my face. Like, oh gosh, get them off my face. And then I was in the store, I was in a fly fishing shop uh, the other day getting my fishing license because it expires. And it's kind of like this pretentious like connoisseur fly fishing shop where everyone's like, ooh. Um, and so anyways i walk in and they're like overly helpful like oh how can we help you and so i was just browsing and i was going to buy my fishing license and i was looking at this jacket and um just trying to keep my cool you know like ooh, i'm a, I'm a cool fly fisherman just like you guys you know and I, and I i like moved the jacket or like looked at the jacket and and two moths like flew out and like hit me in the face and i'm like and I like fell back. And the guy's like, can I help you, sir? And I was like, uh, the moth. I don't think he saw the moth, so I just looked like an idiot. Um, anyways, uh, I've been thinking a lot about the moth, maybe just because I've been attacked by them all this week. It's a biblical proportion uh, epidemic in Colorado. They'll go away soon. But anyways, um, I was thinking about resurrection and these moths. And I think that this analogy um, that I'm going to give you is just that, by the way. It's just an analogy. But I think it's interesting that, um, that the way these, these creatures have been made, that they go from this worm state into this cocoon state or this pupae state in which they are seemingly dead. Like they, they are this worm and then the worm dies. But then this, this cocoon, like we could talk about, resurrects this beautiful um, moth or butterfly. I don't think the moths are beautiful, but butterflies are. Here's a picture of a monarch going through the different stages of, of what could be seen as death. You know, this, this cocoon that you just look at it and be like, yeah, it's not moving. It's just there. It looks dead, but it's actually being reformed into something totally beautiful, something you could argue glorified. And, um, and I want to make this analogy um, and it's just the analogy, but at the end of this talk today, I'll give you another analogy that actually is in the context of Scripture. But this one's just kind of mine, as I've been thinking about it this week, that we all, on this earth now, 
we could just talk about how, you know, things are imperfect and um, things aren't right. And we could talk about this worm-like state, this worm-like life that we're, we're kind of living where there, things are not perfect. That, that, that we have to um, work and we have to um, go through pain and suffering, maybe like a worm. But then we will all experience death and we can maybe uh, analogous, analogly, analog, what's the word? Analyt- I don't know what the word is. Using the analogy, we could think about that we will die and in some ways become like a cocoon in this death. Just an analogy, by the way. But then, as we d- believe in the resurrection, that Jesus was raised from the dead um, in, in body, but a spirit body, but a heavenly body, a glorified body, are some of the words used in the New Testament that, like a butterfly, it's beautiful and, and glorious. Um, this, this worm dies, so to speak, in this cocoon-like state, and then it is raised from, the, seemingly raised from the dead. And as we talk today, um, in some ways, I, I want to stress the resurrection and how that is our great hope as Christians, that we will be resurrected from the dead with a glorified, spiritual, um, heavenly body, and that our life process may look a little like uh, this butterfly's process of being a worm and and gross and in life and imperfectness, but then dying and then being raised from the dead. So whatever that's worth, it's just an analogy, um, but that's kind of where we're going today in our talk. So Welcome to the Mill Sunday School. Um, just a few announcements. If you're new, if this is your first time, or if you've never filled out a visitor card, you certainly can. I think they're on all the tables. You could fill one of those out with as much or as little information as you want. Give it to the nice people as you leave. We'd love to meet you, uh, tell you about small groups. We could tell you about the Mill on a Friday night. If you've never been, that's kind of our main service, our main meeting um, where we have worship and a sermon, the Sunday school thing, what's going on here is kind of uh, more of a teaching Sunday school, hence the name. Um, and, we, and we do take topics by month, and so we'll be concluding the real Easter. That's what we've called this month, because earlier on we celebrated Easter and talked about the fake Easter. Then we talked about the death of Jesus. Then we, last week we talked about the resurrection and the historicity of that. And today we'll talk about the resurrection in our own lives and how that might look and kind of talk about eschatology, this big theological word, um, in a minute. So um, that's that. Uh, so next week we'll, we'll start the topic of First and Second Timothy books of the Bible that some of you uh, may call your favorite books of the Bible, and um, Aaron Wagner, the worship leader for the mill, and I will be tackling that. Um, I'll, I'll teach the first couple, then Aaron Wagner will teach some, um, and so that's next month. And finally, just to give you an announcement and, and to thank you, um, last week we had a hot breakfast in here. Anybody remember that? The bacon, the eggs, and so if you weren't here last week, should have been here last week. Um, it was really good. And we took a donation for the missions team. They're, they're going to South Africa. Um, and so all the money went to them. And they raised a lot of money. Um, I won't give you the exact number, but they, it was the most successful mill mission raising thing we've done all this year. And so thank you so much. There was a lot of generous people in here that gave to that. And so thank you. Anyways, um, and they got all that money, so it'll help them go to South Africa and be missionaries for the two weeks that they're there as part of the mill. (sighs) All right. Announcements, shenanigans, over. Let's talk about the review real quick of the resurrection. Last week we talked about the historicity of the resurrection. This time, this moment that we as Christians can actually look back and say, 
This really happened. Jesus actually died. He was truly dead. And then he rose from the grave and he appeared to people. And some of the things we mentioned last week was that he appeared to more than one person at a time. So if if you're at all um, in somewhat disbelief or if you're talking to a non-believer, they might bring up the idea like, oh, the disciples, they were just hallucinating. And we would have to respond to that and say, well, you know, he appeared to more than one person at once. He appeared to the disciples. And so one person can have a hallucination. One person can say, oh, you know, I had a dream where I saw a ghost. But a bunch of people all experiencing the same thing, that's not a hallucination. That's something different. Um, And they were all able to um, touch Jesus, to eat with Jesus, which we'll go into this this topic today of like, what was Jesus' body really like? Because Jesus actually asked for something to eat when he's meeting with his disciples after the resurrection. And they give him a piece of broiled fish. And so he eats with them. And so that's kind of interesting. Did he need to eat or did did he just want to eat? Um, I don't know. Um, But they were able to eat with him and touch him. And it's not just like this Christian story got passed on. It's actually a secular story um, or secular historians like we mentioned Josephus, who's actually Jewish. He commented on the resurrection of Jesus. And so it's, it's not just like, oh, well, just the Bible refers to it. So it, the whole Bible was made up. Well, no, we have extra biblical sources that also refer to Jesus being resurrected from the dead. And I failed to mention this one last time. I was in a conversation after the Mill Sunday School with one of you. I forget who it was, but I, th- I think it was a guy. He said, you know, my, the, the greatest thing that I look at is for the historicity of the, the resurrection story is that the body was never found. I was like, yeah, I guess that, that that's a great point. I mean, if Jesus' body was found, it's like, well, hey, guys, you're looking in the tomb over there, but you got it all wrong. He's actually in this tomb. Look, here he is. That would end pretty quick all the ideas that, oh, Jesus is appearing to different people and walking through walls and eating broiled fish with people after he had been dead. Like, that would end it all. Like, oh, here's his dead body. I guess what you're saying hasn't happened because here's his dead body. Um, so anyways, the resurrection, we ta- this is kind of just review from last week, I think is very important. And I think Paul thinks it's very important as well. Here's a picture, a painting actually, of uh, Paul writing a letter. I like this painting. Uh, um, it's by Bologna, I think is how you pronounce his last name, which sounds a lot like Bologna. Um, but anyways, uh, no halo, no beaming light, just looks like an, an ordinary man writing an ordinary letter, but of course we hold these ordinary letters written a long time ago as scripture and sacred. And so Paul says this, if you want to turn there, actually I'm going to read, I'm going to actually put it up on the board. Um, 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 12, says, if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can you, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? I mean, talk about theological problems in this church in Corinth. I mean, we have our theological discussions. You know, we can go back and forth about evolution, creation, how God created. We can go back and forth about, oh, end time stuff. We can go back and forth about Calvinism, Arminianism, and and, and fight and and discuss that, debate that. But imagine if there was a group of us in here that were like, yeah, we don't believe in the resurrection. We don't believe in the afterlife. We'd be like... Okay, this is a pretty big theological problem. And obviously Paul thinks it is as well, because he says, if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been, if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless. And so is your faith. Yikes! Which is one of the, the, one of the uh, quotes of the day on the back of your skillet. And so continuing, verse 17, it says, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. 
if only for this life we have the hope in Christ, we are all of we are all people most to be pitied. Do you see what he's saying here? He's saying if Christ really wasn't raised from the dead, then this whole religion is futile. It's all trash. Like throw the whole thing in the garbage if Christ really didn't rise from the dead. And then he says, well, maybe some of you are arguing that, oh, he raised from the dead, but um, maybe it was just for this life. Like I know that I personally have experienced um, changes in my own life after I accepted Christ and um, had more meaning in my life, had more conquering of sin in my life since becoming a Christian, more um, just conscience and conviction of the Holy Spirit, and that's, that's awesome. But Paul is pretty much saying here in this last verse, verse 19, that if that's all that it's about, if Christ and his death and the resurrection, if it's all just for this life, then he's saying, if we just believe that, then we are to be most pitied. Because there is something awesome and beautiful and glorious about the life to come and how we as Christians can um, participate in the resurrection of Jesus himself and also be raised from the dead. How awesome is that? Pretty awesome. So, let's give you a big word and then I'm going to give you a discussion question. And so, we'll start off this um, today after our review here with an eschatological overview or eschatology overview. What does the word eschatology mean? Anybody know? Yeah, in time, study of the last things. Um, often, oftentimes people think it's just the end times. Like, oh, pre-trib, post-trib, pre-millennial, post-millennial. It's just that stuff. But it also encompasses the study of heaven and hell and paradise and the, what will happen to us after we die and thoughts about the resurrection to come, that that all falls into this umbrella of eschatology. So let's get right to it. I want to give you a discussion question, which I think I just think is an important piece of the Mill Sunday School that you often don't get to discuss things in church, but here kind of in this Sunday school environment we do. And so um, uh, just get in a smaller groups. If, if your group becomes too big, split and, and, and open up your group and invite people in that you don't know and talk about this. Hopefully it's a fun discussion question, which is just what are the popular thoughts of what heaven will be like? Maybe you've been to a funeral and you're like, oh, so-and-so loved horses. So they're you know, riding all of God's horses right now as we speak, or so-and-so like cars, so they're riding in the newest Camaro. Actually, next year's Camaro has already come out in heaven, so they're riding around in that. How awesome is that? But anyways, I'm sure you've heard stories. What are the popular thoughts of what heaven will be like? Ready, get set, get into groups, discuss the question. Go. Uh, we Sometimes we do mic discussions. I think I'd rather just hear a bunch of quick things. So what will heaven be like? Yell something out. With pearly gates singing, clouds floating around. Anybody say, we'll get wings? Anybody? We get, might get wings? No? Nope. Harps. What? Anything else at this table? What? Wait, what? Dead pets will be there. Yay! I had, I had a dog when I was a kid. I hope that thing is not there. Uh... It's really mean. It's like, anyway, somebody said unicorns. Did I hear unicorns? Or or like all your wildest dreams will come true. Like if you vote for Pedro Sanchez, like in the Napoleon. Um, You could look at the, uh, 
one of the Sunday schoolers, Joe, drew this picture of Jesus ascending into heaven. And there's clouds and he's like floating. And so maybe we have these thoughts of, oh, heaven will be like uh, us floating around. And I think that we are fascinated, I mean, right, about what heaven will be like. And I'll prove that to you in a second. And I think that not only we as Americans now are fascinated about what heaven will be like, but also I think in ancient times, in Jesus' times, in Paul's time, people were fascinated with um, visions of people coming back from heaven. I'm going to refer to um, heaven is for real in a second. Um, But maybe the the first heaven is for real, at least post-Jesus and resurrection, is Paul's story of this guy. In 2 Corinthians 12, um, he says that, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. What is the third heaven? Well, there's different theories about, is this levels of heaven? Or is, uh, I think the most popular thought is that, oh, the, the error that we see now, that's the first heaven. And then the sky with the, the sun, the moon, the stars is the second heaven. And then maybe beyond that is the third heaven is, is maybe the idea of what Paul is referring to. He's just referring to someone going to heaven. Anyways, uh, he says, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And then he repeats himself. And I do not know this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, and so he's pretty clear that he doesn't know whether he was in the body or not. Um, But anyways, was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things, things that one is is permitted, uh, not no one is permitted to tell. Excuse me. And so, it's like, ooh, cool. Like, someone was caught up to heaven. Whether they were in the body or out of the body, Paul doesn't know. But uh, And so we could ask, was it a vision? Was it a dream? Um, maybe you've heard of people having near-death experiences, or where they actually die, but then they're resuscitated. Um, or maybe you've heard of this book. Anybody read this book, Heaven is for Real? It's um, not by this little boy, but by this little boy's dad. I really like his haircut. It's a sweet buzz cut. Um, <laughs> just smiling and loving it. Um, but anyways, this book, I, I talk about it because it was the number one, uh, it made the number one New York Times bestseller list last year. And so obviously Christians and non-Christians are buying this book and reading this book. And basically it's the story of this little boy uh, who uh, had an emergency appendicitis or had to get his appendix removed. And I, I, I'm, st- I'm reading the book currently. I think I'm in chapter two, so I haven't yet finished it. But um, um, basically, uh, he doesn't die. He doesn't flatline. But he has this vision of going to heaven when he was just four years old. And then later, um, he begins to tell his parents about that vision and different details come out. And so his dad, Todd Burpo is his last name, um, sweet last name, uh, writes down the story of little, uh, what's his name, Colton? Little Colton that that had this vision of heaven. Um, And so he talks about, the angels singing to him because he was afraid and Jesus, I think he's in Jesus' lap at one point and meeting some people, um, his family members that had passed away and and tells this vision to his parents over the course of months and days, uh, maybe years of, of different details of what he experienced um, in heaven. And the book had a lot, any book that gets to be this big and number one bestseller has tons of critics. And so there was non-believers who were critics. There was also a lot of Christians who were critics of this book and saying, oh, that can't be what heaven is like um, because blah, blah, blah. It's bad theology, blah, blah, blah. And I kind of just look at it and kind of take a step back and like, it's just a kid and it's just a vision. And so um, whatever you take from that is just 
I, I think it's just meant to be encouraging and whether it really happened or the kid just has quite an imagination. I don't know. I just think it's in, encouragement for people to think about the afterlife and have these beautiful visions. If, if maybe it was only for this family, this vision of, of this little boy getting to see some of his dead relatives and then telling his parents about it. But there is um, lots of ideas of what heaven will be like. Um, and there is thoughts. Maybe did, did anyone at any table say, heaven kind of seems boring? Did anybody honestly say that? A couple people. And I think that's, this is um, Michelangelo's uh, painting in the Sistine Chapel of the Cherubs. It's, they made it into a motivational uh, poster that says, heaven. In heaven, all the interesting people are missing. <laughs> And you're like, oh, yeah, I guess they would be. Anyway, maybe not, you know. Um, But Mark Twain said it this way in a quote. He says, go to heaven for the climate, hell for the society. Yikes. And and so is that, do people really have this idea that heaven will just be boring and a bunch of boring Christians up there? Um, Isaac Asimov, this famous uh, sci-fi writer and a scientist as well, said, "Uh, I don't believe in the afterlife. So he's, he's actually an atheist or he called himself a humanist. He says he doesn't believe in the afterlife. And he says this, For whatever the tortures of hell, I think the boredom of heaven would be worse. Yikes. And so is, that, is that the popular thought of what we as Christians reading the Bible have portrayed to non-believers? And so they just see heaven as like, oh, we'll get up there, we'll float on a cloud and play a harp for all eternity. Sounds like a blast. No, it doesn't. Um, anyways, um, and I've heard Christians say, um, that, oh, you know what heaven's going to be like? It's going to be like an endless prayer meeting. And and I've had some great prayer meetings, um, but usually at the end of like an hour or two, maybe three, like I just want to either go home or go out to eat, go to Village Inn and talk about it, talk about the prayer meeting. Um, so an endless prayer meeting kind of seemed, it does. Is that what we're portraying to, to society? Um, is that what we're talking about when we talk about heaven? Because... I, I would say, no, we shouldn't portray that. I think the cartoons of harps playing and just floating around in the clouds in an endless prayer meeting, that does kind of sound boring, especially sounds boring to non-believers. And so I do want to end Sunday school, and we will end Sunday school today, with this idea of the resurrection and how awesome that is and how unboring that seems. And so um, we'll kind of break into that now and talk about the afterlife and maybe break some down some some barriers or just kind of open up the picture of what heaven will be like. And I think um, the biggest thing that I think many Christians today have this idea of, oh, we'll, we'll die and our bodies will just be, you know, done for and this earth will just be done for and we get to peace out and just our souls get to leave and, and we just get to leave behind earth like, oh, we get to check out and we get a new name, new face, and uh, we don't have to think about all the people we didn't like on the earth, and we don't have to see anything that we saw on earth. We just get to peace out um, to heaven, our soul leaves. And, and, and that brings up questions that I think are in the context of the New Testament, like, well, what about the body? Like, Jesus resurrected body. It's not just like a ghost, soul, spirit thing. It's like, no, his resurrected body. And what about the body to come? What about this period? Kind of seems like some of the stories in the New Testament are about like the people who have fallen asleep or the people who are waiting for the resurrection. And th- that's our future great hope, resurrection. And sometimes we just lump all eschatological um, 
eschatological ideas into like, oh, we get to die and we get to float off to heaven. Then it's like, well, what about the resurrection? Yeah, what about that? What about those who have fallen asleep? I think about this verse, First uh, Thessalonians chapter 4. Uh, Paul is saying, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, like so those who have died, uh, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind that has no hope. Verse 14, for we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Goes on to talk about the resurrection and, and, and being called up to him. And this, this bigger idea of resurrection. And there's a lot of Christians who believe that, oh, maybe we'll die and there'll be this, this period of time that we'll go through and maybe we'll experience it as time. Maybe we won't. But our end hope is not what will happen after death. Our end, final, final hope is this resurrection, potentially back to a recreated earth. And, and that sounds fun to me. That, that sounds like you know, a perfect earth and a perfect body that doesn't age and we don't have to weep or experience death again. That sounds pretty cool to me. But what happens in this time? You know, some, some Christians have referred to it. I'm going to show you this video clip in a minute of uh, N.T. Wright. And he refers to the life after the life after death. I'll say that again. The life after the life after death. And so we experience death. And whatever happens, that's, that's a bad thing, that's a monster, that's something that we weren't created for, this death. But then after that, there's this resurrection that will happen. And so where will we be? Is there soul sleep? Is there rest? Um, whatever it's going to be, I think it's, we have to first say it's going to be good, because there is this verse where Jesus is on the cross with two criminals, one criminal is jeering him. The other criminal is, is basically saying, this man did nothing wrong. And he says, remember me when you're in your kingdom, Jesus. And Jesus turns to him and says, truly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. And that I take a lot of comfort in that verse and think, well, whatever, we, whatever happens after death, um, and, and maybe there is this waiting for the resurrection, and maybe we will experience it as time. I don't know. But um, it is referred to as paradise, this Greek word paradisimo, this, this, this idea of a garden, this perfect garden, this, this place of resting and, and relaxing and, and being just having you know, a lazy Sunday in a garden is maybe kind of this idea of paradisimo, this idea of this Greek context. And so, so anyways, I've been kind of hinting at this guy um, anybody know N.T. Wright? Maybe not personally, but you read a book of his or just you've heard of him. If you've been around New Life for a little while, you know that um, um, I, I like N.T. Wright. I, uh, Glenn Packiam, um, uh, Daniel Grothy, we're kind of like little schoolgirls um, talking about Justin Bieber when we talk about our hero, whatever, N.T. Wright. Um, and you're supposed to laugh. We're not really like Justin Bieber. And I mean, little, dang it, we're not like, we're not like little girls talking about Justin Bieber. Um, but we all respect him and like him a lot. And who he is is a Anglican, uh, English, Christian writer, maybe much like this guy. You've probably heard of him, uh, C.S. Lewis. Anybody like C.S. So big cheers for C.S. Lewis. He's kind of the, the, the Christian hero, the, the writer. And so they have a lot in common. They're both English. They're both um, Anglican. They're both uh, Christian writers who are very pro- prolific and writing a whole bunch. And so N.T. Wright, the guy on the right, 
has been compared to, oh, maybe he's the new C.S. Lewis, or the C.S. Lewis of our day, and I think he's on that road. He's, I don't think he is yet. I don't, he's not writing fiction like C.S. Lewis did in the Chronicles of Narnia, but he is writing and bringing up new ideas that are very, um, not very radical, but just like a big shift into popular, maybe American evangelical thought, and one of his books that uh, really rocked my thinking of the eschatological eschatological future for all of us is this book called Surprised by Hope, uh, subtitled Rethinking Heaven, the Resurrection, and the Mission of the Church. And he he goes on to talk about how we as Christians, our great hope is not just to peace out and, and just leave this earth and let this earth rot, but our great hope is in this resurrection, this recreating of our bodies and this recreating of this earth. And so when we join with God in doing good things on the earth, we're actually doing something very holy and beautiful. And when we destroy this earth, and when we, whatever, you know, we can do to destroy this earth and just take advantage of this earth, then we're actually doing harm to the, the plan of God because this earth is, is going to be recreated. Our bodies will be recreated. And we're not just going to peace out um, and, and leave this world and, and, and maybe we'll see it again. Maybe this earth will be recreated and it'll be perfect in the way it was meant to be created and where our bodies will be recreated and the, the way that they'll, they were meant to be created. And so all that to say, um, I have a three-minute video clip. It's like an ABC News from a while ago and I found it on YouTube and I just loved it. And so they, they already clipped it down and then I clipped it down some more. It's about three minutes, so you'll have to stay with it and kind of pay attention here. But it's basically someone interviewing N.T. Wright about his eschatological ideas. Many of them are found in Surprised by Hope, this book that maybe you should get and read someday. It's a fascinating read. And so I'm going to show you this video clip and then give you a discussion question to, so to kind of get you ready for the discussion question is how do we um, kind of look at resurrection and the afterlife, resurrection and heaven. How can we uh, mold these two theological ideas together? Um, so I'll put that up after this video, but without further ado, the video. According to a British bishop, it's the one thing we leave till last. The question of heaven, the question of what happens um, after death, is one which a lot of people in our culture try to put off as long as they can. It's also one of life's certainties. But sooner or later it suddenly swings round and looks them in the eye. Believers and unbelievers have strong views about what happens when you die. For centuries Christians have believed that their destiny after death is heaven, a spiritual place where they, along with a myriad of angels, sing praises to God for eternity. But is it possible that Christians may have got this part of their faith badly wrong. Bishop Tom Wright, based in the north of England, is one of the world's foremost theologians, teaching at a range of universities from Oxford to Harvard. And that question of what happens when we die is one that he says Christians have been confused about for centuries. There's a lot of funeral services, sadly, which go that route these days. Death is nothing at all, I've just slipped away into the next room and so on. Anyone who's grieved and anyone who's worked with anyone who's grieved knows that it's a lie. Death is a monster. Death is horrible. So now, in a radical departure from traditional belief, Bishop Wright says that Christians are not ultimately destined for heaven. Instead, he says that at the end of time, 
God will literally remake our physical bodies and return us to a newly restored planet. Heaven is important, but it's not our final destination. If you want to say that when someone dies, they go to heaven, fine, but that's only a temporary holding pattern. That is life after death. And what I'm much more interested in, what the New Testament is much more interested in, is what I've called life after life after death. So we have this period of heaven, and then at some point, we don't know when, there's going to be a resurrection, and all things will become new on the earth. That's what you're saying. And heaven and earth joined together in a new reality. And somehow our identity will continue across that process. We don't know how. He says that instead of destroying the earth, God will somehow rebuild and restore the universe to its original intended form of physical perfection. Otherwise, he says, what's the point in caring about the planet or its people? If you really believe that what happens at death is that you leave behind the world of space, time and matter, you're never going to be bothered with it again, you're never going to have a physical body again, um, and that ultimately God is going to throw this whole world on the rubbish heap somewhere, then what's the fuss to work for justice in the present? What's the fuss about AIDS? What's the problem about global debt? You know, these are trivial and irrelevant. What matters is whether you're going to heaven tomorrow or next week. Although Surprised by Hope is about the afterlife, Bishop Wright wants Christians to focus on how their final destination should affect their lives in the here and now. Though I work in a very tough area of Britain, there are all sorts of conditions of poverty and, and, and de deprivation. And if all I thought was, oh well, if I teach these people the truth, then they'll go to heaven when they die, then why would I bother working with often desperately needy people? And it's because I believe in God's kingdom of justice and peace, this gives me the energy and the focus to work for the kingdom of God in the present. That's the end there. Okay, so um, maybe some radically new ideas that you've heard. How many of you have heard ideas like this before? Oh, maybe, okay, so... Um, there is a lot of you not raising your hand, which, which just goes to say that maybe we need to talk about this for a minute. And so I'll give you another discussion question. Um, and and I, I worded it like this. How does the theology of the resurrection coincide with heaven? If, if what we're really uh, talking about when we believe in the resurrection of Jesus and say that he, there's this verse, Revelation 1, 5, that says you know, he is the firstborn of the dead, and that somehow we will also be born of the dead. We will receive a resurrected body somehow like Jesus' body. Um, how does that the theology coincide with the popular theology of, oh, just getting to go off to heaven right after you die? Um, discuss that. Um, you can form new groups. If you, if you weren't in a group, just join a group and discuss that question with just a few minutes. Okay? Ready? Get set. Go! All right, I would love to hear you. I've heard, overheard some of your discussions. I have a mic. I would love to hear a couple of you just kind of share um, ideas, thoughts uh, about this stuff. You don't really have to have a main point, but just like, well, we talked about this, and I do not pretend to have this all figured out. N.T. Wright doesn't have this all figured out. And so it's something that we could just talk about. And like, well, what about this? What about that? So anybody want to start us off? Anybody? Oh, Higgins. Always got something good to say. Go ahead. Well, um, I I, I kind of got to whip out C.S. Lewis here and Chronicles of Narnia again. Of course. Um, in, in the last battle, spoiler alert. 
<laughs> in the last battle, everyone. Does that movie come out yet? No. Okay, spoiler alert. Yeah. Uh, so if you haven't movie, read the books. The books? It's a book. Uh, everyone dies. Uh, everyone dies. Okay. Nar- Narnia ends. And uh, Aslan, uh, who's the uh, analog of Jesus Christ, ushers in everyone to heaven. But it's not heaven in the sense of clouds, angels, and harps. Instead, it's the whole of Narnia um, and the land, but better. It talks about the colors being brighter and, and everything yeah. being better. Um, and then Aslan says, further up and further in. And they go further up and further into Narnia, and they find another Narnia that's even better than the one before it. Uh, so I, I think that's the word picture uh, C.S. Lewis uses to describe the life yeah. uh, that we have after the afterlife. Um, so yeah, yeah that's, that's good. That's a great thought. So using fiction and, yeah, that's a beautiful idea. Josh. Um, what I believe is, I believe when we die... Uh, our flesh is dust. It's yeah. going to go to the ground. Our soul and our spirit are going to go to heaven uh-huh. until the resurrection of Jesus. And then we'll come back to earth after the resurrection in our glorified body. It talks With our of, soul and spirit? Yeah. It talks about in Romans how that creation was subject to vanity uh, by Adam. And whenever the sons of God are manifest, that creation will be delivered from bondage. And so right now, all creation, I believe, is in bondage. Uh, the sun, the moon, the stars, all the earth. And when we come back and Jesus establishes kingdom, the earth will be restored to its original state. Just like us, yeah. we, we are being restored every day. We're being transformed. And then when we come back, we'll get our glorified body. Yeah, that's good. Don't you like the way Josh talks? Just big words and southern accent. I love it. <clears throat> Yeah, Jordan Burton, go ahead. So, um, if you read, if you remember in Genesis, um, Adam and Eve before the fall, they were working. So, I think the idea that we're going to be praising God forever in heaven is not really it's biblical. Just like hanging out on a yeah, hanging and out and being passive and being <laughs> hanging out and being passive all day is I, I don't believe is biblically accurate. We're going to be doing something. We're going to be working. We're going to be helping yeah. God, not in the sense that God needs help, but that God wants to give us responsibilities. Something. Yeah. Like, but it won't be hard. I think of the passage that says, after the fall, then it says, oh, by the sweat of your brow, you will have to work. And so it won't be hard work. We won't have to rake the leaves, maybe. But it's something we'll like doing. Like, if I don't know. <laughs> what kind of, I know, there's, there is some jobs, jobs that I do like doing. And so we'll have something to do. Um, the, this re- resurrection hope that we have. And so I'll just kind of conclude with this idea that our hope um, is in resurrection, a, a new life, a new body. It's not, you know, if you have this idea that heaven will just be like the, you know, you just be like, uh, like flatlined and you just be feeling good. No, no, we're gonna, it's going to be life and full life and a, and a glorified body. I think about Jesus returning. And if that says anything about the body that we will get, well, it was physical. People did recognize Jesus, but it wasn't immediately. I mean, if you see these stories of where Jesus comes in, they're like, hi. Um, like Mary thought that Jesus 
was the gardener. And then, and then Mary said, uh, excuse me, Jesus said, Mary. And then, and then she recognized him. And so it's, it's a real body, but it's a glorified body. There's the stories of the disciples meeting in a locked room. It says the room was locked and Jesus appears. And so it's like, was he able to walk through the door or the wall? And he just appears, but then he's hungry and he see fish or he's able to eat. And so it's not just like a ghost or a spirit, but it's a, it's a real body. Um, there is thoughts about, you know, Jesus says, um, at the resurrection, um, we will be like the angels. And so w- what does that mean? Does that actually mean we'll have wings? That'd be pretty sweet. Um, but maybe the wings thing is, is, is just an analogy for you'll be able to do what you want and have this freedom. Um, and so whatever that means, we'll be like the angels. I like, um, Paul kind of talks about this. He kind of, um, he starts off in 1 Corinthians 15 and says, But some will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? Sounds like a great question. Anybody think that's a great question? I'm raising my hand. I mean, how many of you would like to know the answer to this question? Yeah. And so the next verse says, verse 36, how foolish. Wait, wait, what? I thought that was a good question. And obviously, he's, I don't know what he's doing with his readers in Corinth. He's messing with them, obviously. But how, how dumb of a, you don't ever have it like a, te- like you raise your hand and ask a teacher a question. And they're like, that's a dumb question. But then they go on to answer it. So it's like, well, you just answered it. So it couldn't have been that dumb. So anyways, Paul does go on to answer the question. And he says this. He says, well, how foolish of a question. I'm like, all right, whatever. So what you sow does not come back to life unless it dies. And he gives this example. Verse 37, when you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps a wheat or something else. And so I have a picture of a seed. Happens, anybody recognize that seed? Uh, Yeah, like a peach or apricot seed. Um, All shriveled. And so if it's just like an old seed, it's all, it looks dead. Doesn't that thing look dead? I mean, it doesn't look like a tiger. It just looks like a dead thing. Um, And so, and so Paul gives this analogy that, that you plant something that is dead, and unless it dies, it won't have new life, which is just this beautiful analogy. I mean, I started off this Sunday school with the analogy of the moth or the butterfly and how the, the caterpillar somewhat dies, or at least we, you know, it just goes in the cocoon state, but then is resurrected in its glorified body. I gave that example, that analogy Paul is giving this one, and saying, unless this seed, this dead, seemingly dead seed, dies, it will not be raised. And Paul goes on to say um, this, verse 38, but God gives a body as he has determined. To each kind of seed, he gives its own body. Not all the flesh is the same. People have one kind of flesh. Animals have another. Birds have another. Fish have another. There are also heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind, and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, the stars another. Stars differ from star and splendor. Verse 42, so will it be with the resurrection of the dead. So he ends up kind of answering this question that he called was foolish. But anyways, the body that is sown perishable will be raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, but is raised a spiritual body. And so we'll just kind of conclude here with this talk as well as this month's topic and talk about, as we've been talking about, what we call the, the real Easter and this resurrection story of Jesus has so many implications for us. You know, we began this month, Easter was uh, the second Sunday this month, and we began 
um, celebrating the, the, the resurrection of Jesus, that yes, he rose from the dead, and we can look back in history and say, oh, this event really happened. It really gives uh, credence that, that Jesus was who he said he was. he was. He was someone more than just a man that was a good teacher. He was God, and he proved it by the miracles. And if anyone could fake a miracle, well, you can't fake your own death. Well, you're, you're subject to those killing you, and he died on a cross, but then he beat death by being raised from the dead, and how awesome that is as a historical thing, and looking back and saying, yeah, our God beat death. Our God proved himself by dying and then being raised from the dead, but then it has future implications for us, and how we have this hope that is, that is not just um, in heaven, but also that we might receive full, glorified, awesome spiritual bodies. And so it's with that, I imagine your your mind is swirling like mine is of what it's going to be like. What does that really mean? What is a spiritual body? What is a glorified body? I don't know other than the analogies that we've talked about. And I don't know other than it's going to be awesome and good and of God. And it's how we're supposed to be. It's how we were created and, and we have this life now that is, that is incomplete, but it will be this awesome, holy thing. And so it's with that that let's close in prayer. And God, we tell you um, how awesome it is that, that we can have this hope in a resurrection, that you have been uh, the firstborn of the dead, that, that we could put our hope in you. And it's not just this idea, but you really have been there and done that. You've been raised from the dead. You've shown yourself to your uh, first century disciples and followers. And God, we want to experience that. We, we want to believe in you and believe in this resurrection that is to come and put our faith and hope in that. So God, we do. We put our faith in you. We trust in you for resurrection. We trust that you are going to make it all new and right and holy the, the way it is supposed to be. We trust in you. We love you, Jesus. And everybody said, amen. All right, friends, go in peace. We'll, we'll start next month's topic, First and Second Timothy. We'll see you next week. Peace out. Thank you for listening to the Mill Sunday School Podcast. You can find more information at www.themillonline.org.